Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I'm your host, James Williams, and today we talk to a friend from the West Coast, Trevor Mueller. He hosts a podcast called Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. We talk to him about Washington football. We talk about the Jimmy Lake situation, what went wrong there. We talk about the new hire, Kalen DeBoer, and we also touch into a bunch of other Pac-12 stuff. We go actually for a while. We kind of explore a lot of kind of the football landscape of the West Coast, a few big picture things. We talk about the Lincoln-Riley situation and everything that's going on with that at USC and kind of go a little bit of everywhere with it. So it's just basically a West Coast-themed college football podcast. So without any further ado, here's our interview. All right, joining us, we got Trevor Mueller, host of the Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast, Washington Husky football. Uh, Trevor, let's start here. Jimmy Lake fired a few weeks ago, seven and six in 13 games, two seasons. There was an incident where he had an altercation with one of his players on the sideline. If that incident doesn't happen, is he still the coach or was this kind of like a way to push him out with, because he's having a poor season. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, uh, I think that him striking his player and pushing him in the back as he was leaving was. Uh, I didn't it, see the push it, in the back. Yeah. So he slapped him in the face, which I didn't think was that bad. It looked like he was trying to get him out of the way, but the, uh, the, the put as the kid was already turned around, he shoved him two hands in the back. Uh, that was pretty much gift wrap for the, uh, the, the, the administration to be able to uh, wash their hands of this because it really was a debacle. Um, I, there was talk of firing after the loss to Montana. So uh, because of Jimmy Lake and his performance against Washington, Montana will beat Washington once every hundred years now. So um, that was the beginning of the end and things unraveled rather quickly after that. Yeah, it was kind of – it was basically, too, you look at the hire of him, was he was a kind of a – I wouldn't say like a hometown guy, but he was an assistant under Chris Peterson for a few years, and he was kind of the the heir apparent in a lot of ways. So it was interesting to see uh, cutting bait so quickly, too. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, you that that's tough to sell to, like, new recruits after you kind of have an altercation – uh, and it's hard to explain it in a lot of ways. Well, it was evident that that he had lost the team. And and um, <clears throat> I get, you know, going all the way back to Chris Peterson coming here, Jimmy Lake was on the staff uh, at Boise State. They brought him here. They kept giving him pay raises because all he does is put guys into the NFL in the secondary. Um, the It came to the point where Pete Kwiatkowski, who's now the defensive coordinator with Sark at, at Texas, um, came to Chris Peterson and said, Hey, if we don't, uh, you know, promote this guy to DC, we're going to lose him. And, and Peterson said, he basically like, yeah, that's how football works. And, uh, Kwiatkowski stepped down from that sole defensive coordinator job to give that to, uh, Jimmy Lake because Colorado was calling about making him a head coach. Uh, Nick Saban had made a bunch of uh, attempts to try to get him down to Alabama. So he was the, the hot coaching commodity 
uh, of that cycle. And so when Chris Peterson stepped down, it was, it was almost a no brainer, but the unraveling started quickly with just really silly hires, you know, uh, over where you are in Iowa, you're not that far away from Penn state and, uh, hiring former offensive coordinator, John Donovan, who had some historically bad offenses at Penn state. I mean, there was the, uh, there was an issue with, um, that was, he was the offensive coordinator after the Jerry Sandusky stuff, uh, that led to a lot of, uh, um, scholarship, uh, scholarship issues. So they had some, some struggles on the offensive line when he was there, but still he was a, he was a offensive, like a running backs consultant for the Jaguars. And so obviously he was there for anybody to take in a job like Washington that was coming off the Chris Peterson years, exciting new young coach. That was really the beginning of the end. Well, Washington too, it's kind of a shock when you go from Chris Peterson, you're putting like pretty good offenses together. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of Chris Peterson's calling card. And then you go from that to like, basically like a zero this year. Yeah. that That's pretty tough. But the new hire, Kalen DeBoer, tell us a little bit about him. Where's he from his background and kind of the buzz around this hire? Well, he knows how to coach offense. That's uh, that's one of the really important things to know about Kalen DeBoer. Uh, Washington won't be putting up seven points against an FCS school in the DeBoer era. Um, so Kalen DeBoer started at Sioux Falls and NAIA school. He played there. He coached there. And kind of the wild thing about that is he had as many losses in his career there as he did national championships. That's like maybe two hours from where I'm from. Really? Are they still a dominant program? I have no idea. Okay. Um, So uh, proven winner uh, moved up the coaching ranks. He ended up at, um, uh, he was uh, the OC at Fresno state under Jeff Tedford. Um, And then he got the same job in Indiana. And those were those Indiana teams that were, that were pretty good that were uh, competing with some of the bigger names in the big 10 uh, scoring lots of points. And then uh, when Jeff Tedford had to retire because of some uh, medical issues, he was the call that Fresno state made immediately got him in there after one year of three and three this year, he had him at nine and three. They almost beat Oregon. Uh, they did beat UCLA when UCLA was rolling. So uh, really competent head coach who knows how to run a program. And frankly, when it comes to hiring assistants, you could be the most successful assistant there is. If you can't figure out how to run a program, you're not going to be able to do it. And Kalen DeBoer already knows how to do that. One thing that I really liked about the hire when I was looking through it was that you know, like the head, the multiple times being a head coach. Yeah. Um, like, like I've thought like, this is a theory I've had with like, like Scott Frost or even Tom Herman to a lesser degree. Sure. But it's like you're only a head coach, like, like Scott Frost is only a head coach for two years before he goes and takes over Nebraska. Right. Which is like to fix that thing, get it, you know, in the right direction is really, it's a big job. Yeah. You know? And like, I, I think this is about like Matt Campbell, like how would he have been if he was only a head coach at Toledo for two years and then came to Iowa state? Like right. so that was something that I really found interesting. And then he's at Sioux Falls for like the, 
one of the last national just trying to find all the Sioux Falls football. Set. Wasn't it like 05 through 09 or something yeah, like that where they were winning national it? championships in 06, 08, and 09. Um, and then after that, it looks like he kind of made the career move to like go up a level yeah. and he's an assistant for several years. And then uh, last year he gets his start in Fresno. And then this year, Fresno state like kind of takes off. Right. Him and they beat UCLA. They give Oregon a, a quit fight or a good fight. And like, they're kind of like, they're kind of floating around the top 25, mm-hmm. like for the whole time. So I, I thought it was a really good hire. How's the fan base reacting to it? <laughs> well, we talked about it a little bit pre-show how you were not nervous at all that Matt Campbell was uh, headed to Seattle. And that was the name that people were really excited about here. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit before also about how Matt Campbell and, and really Washington's coach of coaches, the dog father, Don James and Matt Campbell are from the same town in Ohio. So maybe he knows a little bit more about Washington than, you know, most Ohioans would, but um once we, once, once it was clear that Matt Campbell was not going to be that coach, look around, who's, who are you going, if you're the university of Washington, who are you going to get Lincoln Riley? Obviously he's not leaving Oklahoma. Uh, he's going to only take step up. So that's obviously uh, USC is a perfect fit. So Washington is, and then they're competing with LSU uh, at the time. Obviously now that one's filled and now Notre Dame's open. So I think there's some, uh, I, I think that once people started looking into Kalen DeBoer and then his press conference was a home run, uh, I think fans are, are really excited about it now. Tom Herman is also available. He was one that came up quite a bit at the really? start and there just didn't seem to be any fire around it. Oh, oh I'm, I've, I think I've been campaigning for like 12 straight podcasts to get Tom Herman a head coaching job. How can he not in this, like in this cycle? He's with the, he's with the bears right now. Okay. So maybe that's why. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) anything's a step up from the bears pretty much. I guess maybe not Seattle. The the Seahawks are in trouble too. Yeah. The Seahawks are not looking good. Um, I know it's kind of a lot of stuff's going to happen between now and next season. When DeBoer takes – like, there's going to be new recruits. There's going to be transfer portal stuff. Guys are going to leave. Guys are going to come. What kind of roster is this guy coming into? Is it something where he's going to have, you know, hit the ground running and have, a you know, an eight-win team maybe next year or something? Or is this going to take a few years to kind of build back up to the Washington standard? So I tweeted out after the Apple Cup that whoever comes in um, – if they can get their program and, and get their stuff bought in, there's enough talent here to compete for the PAC 12 championship again next year. Um, I've talked with a few parents of players on the team and basically what they were told of what, what they, I was told is if Lake was to be the head coach again in 2022, he said it would have been an exodus of like biblical proportions. Um, kids seem to be really excited about this. Uh, the only two players that have tra- uh, entered the transfer portal as of right now are Tim Horn, who is a backup kicker, and then a, um, a really good line- linebacker named Leia Latu. But um, the 
the doctors wouldn't um, clear him to play. So he's got to go somewhere else where they would clear him. Um, there's, of course, there's going to be transfers out. Um, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. But the what I get from the players, what I've heard from people who come to court is players love him because they know that before he cares about them and then he coaches them. And I think that was one of the real problems with the Lake uh, era. So I think you stive off a lot of the uh, initial transfer portal uh, watch that a lot of Husky fans were on. Um, so I think some of those really important players are going to stick around now. Well, he's kind of a transfer portal guy. That's yes. kind of a way that he built up Fresno, wasn't it? It is. And I think that the, the transfer portal for all the great things that, you know, Washington got some really good players last year who were impact players, uh, Bradley, Radley, Hiles, Buki, as he's known um, from Oklahoma, a cornerback who came in and was a real impact player for him. Um, Jalen Polk from Texas Tech, uh, who looked like he was going to be a big part of that receiving core. And the first catch, he did something so bad to somewhere in his chest that he ended up being taken to the hospital, ended up coming back for the last two games of the season. Um the, the, the group of five schools and schools that are looking to rebuild, I think the, the transfer portal is amazing because you can get, yeah. you know, four star level prospects um, to come into your program. And I think, I think that's really the strength of what the transfer portal is. Um, I think now at Washington, you can utilize it to pick and choose what you need to fill a roster for that year, but he's going to be able to go out and get the best players in the, in the, at least on the West side, Texas and over. Uh, to come to Washington. With the transfer portal, I read this this offseason about like the preview for Kansas this season, mm -hmm. which I probably one of the only people that was dumb enough to win a bunch of money off of Kansas football this year. I bet them over one and a half wins. And Look it, at you. It hit, yeah. And then I had a $10 free bet when I my account was completely empty. I just had a really bad stretch and I put them on the money line to beat Texas. Wow. Like plus 2000. So I won $200 on that game. All right. Yeah. Um, but, but when I was reading about their season preview, they just got Lance Leipold from Buffalo, Buffalo. He'd been kind of building up Buffalo for what, five or six years at that point. Mm -hmm. He had like two or three transfers come from Buffalo uh, to Kansas. And it's kind of like, I think that was a huge part where it's like, you watch Kansas, you know, they were fighting every single game. And even though right. they sucked still, like oh, they, they, were had, in they, games, laid yeah. the, they laid the foundation this year where like they actually have fun playing football. Yeah. Which is something that they just haven't done like maybe ever. Right. Um, but yeah, like your point about that and just executing the transfer portal, it's like, it can be super valuable because you can get a guy that might, you know, especially with like the COVID year now where everyone's going to have an extra year if they want, like you can be at Fresno state or you could be at Buffalo or, or wherever, pick your school, or even, you know, even at like, I think even power five schools, you can get guys like, Oh, we need a guy like Iowa state utilized the transfer portal this year. Yeah. It was probably our biggest like asset was we got a kicker Yeah, and our punter sucked. So we started having him do punts mm -hmm. and he had like a 30 yard, like run for a fake punt against Oklahoma, but <laughs> Lincoln Riley's probably on the phone with USC at that point. <laughs> um, well, that's actually, I mean, DeBoer, his starting quarterback, Jay Kaner, was a former Washington yeah. quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I read that. Um, 
How does Lincoln Riley coming to the Pac-12 affect everything in that conference? Is there um, it's it's a big deal. Uh, I think that um, getting names from big names to come to the conference that aren't, you know, Chip Kelly was a big name, but the higher at UCLA, if it was six years previous, it would have been a big deal. But after, you know, the, the experiment didn't work in the NFL, he kind of comes back to the PAC 12 with his tail between his legs. Right. Um, with Lincoln Riley, a hot name, a team, a, a coach that's been in the, is always around the playoff um, going to a school that has just been so down since Pete Carroll left, um, I think is a big deal because the PAC 12 needs to have the big time names in the conference be competitive for the conference to look uh, competent. And, you know, the only teams that have gone to the playoffs so far in this new era has been Oregon and Washington and Washington hasn't Washington was the last one in 2016. Um, Oregon really wants to be the national end of the, of the, um, of the conference. And that's just not the case. They, they, they have the Nike money. They, they have a lot of those things and they're recruiting really well, but in order for the, for the conference to be the best version of itself, USC has to be one of the top teams and Washington as well. I mean, Washington and USC and UCLA are kind of those top three and, and Oregon has really cemented itself as that's kind of the top tier um, when the conference is doing well. A thing I've pointed out, and I don't think other people pointed out, uh, is if you actually look over, I take out this year, because I don't know what this did with the record. And dang, I, I was one, I wanted to look up this to see where Washington ranked on this list, where if you look over like the last 10 years in the Pac-12, I'm pretty sure USC still has like the best record. Like Clay Halton had some good years. Lane Kiffin had a good year. And mm-hmm. like, like they, they still had like the best, like over a 10 year period. Like yeah, they were I, Oregon. And the, the impression like kind of nationally was that like USC is in this, like, you know, like the, like they're Texas or something where Texas has a losing record to TCU and right. Mike Gundy's owned them and Oklahoma pretty much for the most parts owned them. And now recently Iowa state and a lot of other Baylor, other schools are kind of owning them. And like, it was kind of like the, the national impression was like, I remember looking at that before the season. I was like, huh, it was like, oh, Oregon's been like, you know, running everything over there the last 10 years. And it's actually not true. Like the Chris Peterson, Washington years, like were really like, like there's a few years where Chris Peterson, Washington was the top dog. So over the last 10 years, it's really kind of a close race. You have Oregon, Washington and USC is the top three teams. When and it comes Stanford to a wins. little bit too. Stan, yes, yeah, yeah. As we get farther away from the Jim Harbaugh years and the uh, what's the kid in Carolina? Not so much the last three years at Stanford. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the the thing about USC and this is what makes it a national brand. It's not necessarily viewed. Uh, you know, they won the Pac-12 championship one two thousand seventeen, where Sam Darn. they lost. Sam Darnold. Yep. And they beat Stanford, but Stanford was like a three loss team and, and they were a two or three loss team and they had been embarrassed on the national stage. And that's what, that's when, you know, you're a national brand. You're not just one of the better teams in the PAC 12. They're always going to be uh, competitive just with the talent that they have 
but it's more about the the silly losses that they would have during the season, the ineptitude that they would show. Uh, even in 2016, they were a pretty decent team, and they were Washington's only blemish in the regular season. So always had the players, but what what I what I would notice about them that I really loved about the Chris Peterson program was when it came time for the draft, the the difference, the different vocabulary they would use for. Washington players versus USC players was Washington, you know, uh, Buda Baker is one of the best technical defensive backs in the, in the draft. Uh, he's a polished player. And then uh, Adoree Jackson was around the same time as him. And it was how much potential he had to be a really good player at the next level. And it's because it just wasn't developed and tapped out at USC. Five-star culture at Washington, not five-star culture at USC. hundred percent. So you're going to say you're going to be on the bus that Oregon's overrated as a program. I think they are. I think that, uh, I mean, I would be a little worried if I was them around losing Mario Cristobal to Miami. I think he doesn't take any other job, but that one, but if it comes open, that's going to be a hard one for him to turn. I'm Oregon. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I really, you know, it, it drives me nuts because some there's things about Oregon that I really don't like when it's some of the, the recruiting stuff that they do. Um, What are they uh, they have revitalized the way that, uh, they outwork everybody. It's really annoying. And, and that's what I've heard from wow. some really valuable sources or some really reliable sources is they work tirelessly on the phones. Um, uh, and, and Jimmy Lake kind of rested on his laurels a little bit and lost some absolute like softball players that Washington should have gotten in the program. Uh, that are now playing in Eugene. Um, uh, but, you know, he also, he, he does show a lot of character that I think is really important to the game, whether that's, I just saw a video today where after Oregon beat um, Ohio State, the players were starting to celebrate and he, you could hear him in the video yelling at the kids, not, not, on, not on the 50, uh, we respect our opponents. Like just little stuff like that, I think is really cool. Um, I do think they're overrated. I, I I think that they are able, they have, they're able to get a lot of really good players in there. Um, the development hasn't come yet. A lot of their really good players are young, so it's, it still might. Um, but I'm at least pumping the brakes a little bit on the Oregon hype. The Oregon program, you really look at it. It's basically like the really, 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 and I mean, they, they made it to the playoff under Helfrich and uh, mm-hmm. Chris Wallace guys. What? Those were chips guys. Yes. yes. And then uh, Cristobal made it to the Rose Bowl a few years ago and obviously beat Ohio State this year, 10 win season mm-hmm. this year. But it's basically the Chip Kelly area era and then everything else. Like Chip yeah. Kelly was like really, really good there. Like it, 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 it was crazy. Yeah. Like, like I haven't pulled up here. 10 and three his first year, 12 and one, 12 and two, 12 and one. And then he's off to the NFL for an eight year odyssey. Yeah. Um, actually, do you want to go on a Chip Kelly tangent here? Because UCLA. 100%. UCLA fans I know are like I I talked with a a guy that does a UCLA podcast for the season and he said nine wins or he's out uh do you think I'm of the opinion if they because they have eight wins this year and like I understand the narrative and stuff with that where uh you look at it all the teams they beat are basically bad (laughs) right all the all the teams they lost to were good teams but I wouldn't fire them after this like what are you doing like, like who, who are you going to get after that? I, I just, I don't get like the, the fire around him right now. 
So the crazy thing about Chip Kelly, especially at Oregon, is Chip Kelly was is the only one that I've ever believed that said they don't care about star rating. Um, because he would take guys, uh, underrated, uh, under, undervalued players, especially along the offensive line, get really fast guys and get super athletes. And he would go out and he would out scheme everybody. The issue that Chip Kelly had obviously was when he ended up seeing sec NFL type lines, um, Oregon really struggled to be able to get their athletes in space. Um, it didn't work in the NFL, like you said, and uh, it's been rocky uh, at UCLA, probably to say the least. Um, I've been on every year. I think it's UCLA's year to break out under Chip Kelly because I do respect what he does. I think that he's a really brilliant uh, football mind. I eight wins. I, I mean, I. I, I cover a team that uh, had four of them. So uh, I'd take eight wins uh, this year, but I could see some frustration from the UCLA fans, especially because he is the highest. I think he's before Lincoln Riley. I think he was the highest paid coach in the PAC 12 and you, you got to win more if you're, you're the highest paid, but I don't think I fire him. It'd be David Shaw, wouldn't it? Maybe. Unless like UCLA has like their private university and they don't have their. That's uh, probably what it is. I know I was looking up all of the coaching payments recently and like, mm-hmm. I was shocked. David Shaw was like third. Yeah. And he was behind like Saban and Ogeron. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well then, then he, he would definitely be the highest paid. It was like, it was something crazy. It was like 8.9 million. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. To have a three win team. He's like, is that's how many wins he's had over the last three, eight point nine. <laughs> yeah, but even Kelly at Oregon, they they the national championship they lost was to uh to like Cam Newton's Auburn. Cam Newton, yep. And even that, like, won a Rose Bowl, uh, won a Fiesta Bowl. Like, he was really good there, and I think part of it was like early on he was just kind of like ahead of his time with the offense that he was doing nutrition that Mm -hmm. was like huge thing when he got to the nfl and like all the athletes were like what do you want us to do stretch right and then i think he just kind of like maybe lost touch a little bit but i mean even at some point this year he's ranked 13th probably definitely overrated at that point but it'll be interesting to see what happens if they move forward you They're think- a middling top 25 team. And uh, I mean, uh, uh, Jim Mora had some successful years early in his tenure at UCLA, but uh, UCLA has really struggled to uh, win consistently for quite a while. What about uh, Herm Edwards? I didn't realize he was on the hot seat until like an announcement came out. That's like, we're, we're keeping Herm Edwards. I was like, what? There's, <sighs> there was like a possibility. Do you think, can you maybe like, maybe give us like three, like PAC 12 teams that just have expectations that are just too high that they just think too highly of themselves. So, well, actually ASU, it has nothing to do with on the field because up until this summer, it looked like Herm had that program uh, rolling in a really positive direction. What happened was um, under Tom, uh, not Tom Herman, um, uh, uh, Herm Edwards, 
they were hosting recruits during the dead period during COVID. Yeah. And uh, that was a lot of uh, coaches underneath who were directly involved with that have been fired. And uh, it looked like all intents and purposes, they were also, uh, you know, the team, the team was, I, I picked them to win the South. I thought that uh, Jaden Daniels and, and, you know, the running backs that they have there were going to kind of run through the South and they, they looked like a team that was really um, after they lost a game, they just looked like a team that, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't as interested in playing football as they were maybe before. And I think a lot of the outside noise got to them. Is there like a Pac-12 program that just doesn't get the respect nationally? Like, Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know Utah doesn't like Kyle Whittingham has been there forever. Yeah. And he's done like a really good job. Like they, they they might win the Pac-12 championship this year. Um, like for example, like the, like in the big 12, like people just don't understand like how good of a program like K-State has gotten to be. Yeah. Yep. And even like now to like, even more so like, like I would say now if I were going to, well, I guess I'd have to think about it a little bit because with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, like people don't realize how Gundy, good Gundy's been in Oklahoma state or like how weirdly Baylor just like how they've like went from like trials, uh, which got fired for all the right reasons. Cause he, yep. you know, covered up a bunch of bad stuff. Then they walk into Matt rule right there. And then he's gone after two years. Then they got Aranda right now. And you're just like, why do you guys keep doing this? Why do you guys yeah. keep having good, good coaches? Another team that I was like, and I guess, you know, this one, because this guy used to be an assistant at uh, Washington was like Oregon state. They're a team that's actually kind of impressed me. Like I watched that, Oregon State Arizona State game and Oregon State just like destroyed them yeah like Arizona State looked like helpless in that game is you know can you give us like a little bit maybe some Jonathan Smith stories so Jonathan Smith was actually uh there was a steep decline at Washington offensively after Jonathan Smith took that job at Oregon State um you saw a regression from Jake Browning um, and then after Jake Browning graduated, uh, Jacob Eason came from Georgia and there was regression as well. There were some really weird things they would do in the pocket, whether that was trying to do some spin outs when, uh, when there was pressure in their face that two not mobile guys were, you know, losing seven or eight more yards by these, these kind of like backward looking spin move pivots. Um, that was kind of the beginning of it. Uh, a lot of window dressing but once they got lined up you know the defenses I, I i know receivers have told me that defensive players were calling out the routes that they were running and they were right um I, a lot of things changed when jonathan smith left oregon state they were it they were an absolute mess after that the the coach from wisconsin uh went there and uh it just, it, it imploded. He ended up quitting, not even taking his buyout. It, it was a really, really bad place. They were struggling to win a game. Jonathan Smith came in. He's, he's kind of a hero in, in at Oregon state. He beat Notre Dame in like the orange bowl or something like that in 2000. Was it the orange bowl? Um, but he's come in and steadily built that program the right way. And uh, you know, they're going to compete with Oregon 
uh, and, and Washington and Stanford to be the first team other than those three I mentioned to one day uh, represent the North in the Pac-12 championship. Let's circle back to Lincoln Riley here for a second. Um, kind of what I thought or what I'm thinking, like I feel like we all think it's going to work. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the Pac-12 doesn't have too much. I mean, I mean it's going to suck that USC is going to get better, but there's basically two routes that this goes with him. It's either he basically makes like Oklahoma West. Right. And, or, or which if that's the case and it's Oklahoma West, you have to worry because they're going to win a lot more games and they're going to get a bunch of like Heisman trophies and stuff. And there's going to be like a lot of flash, but there might not be as much substance there. Like, like other than Matt Campbell's first year at Iowa state, every game against Oklahoma has been one score between Iowa state and yeah. Oklahoma. And that, that should, that just shouldn't happen. Right. That shouldn't happen. Um, so I think that's one option. The other option is that it's like Pete Carroll, USC, or, uh, I can't remember who their other coach was long, long ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the problem, <laughs> problem for Husky fans when Pete Carroll was uh, at his peak at Washington, that was when Washington was at their absolute rock bottom yeah. basement um, uh, in the history of Washington football. I mean, they're, I think the only PAC 12 team to ever have a winless season in 2008. And uh, those Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart teams would come up and they'd hang 42 to nothing on Washington every year. Uh, and it wasn't until actually Steve Sarkeesian in 2009 uh, beat them on a game winning field goal that really started to cement the turnaround at Washington. So uh, I think I, I, like kind of what I said, like USC has to be good for the PAC 12 to have respect. Um, uh if you look at the the history of the conference, man, it's it's Washington and USC and uh, and UCLA, and they fight and they claw. And USC has to be there for those other two to have the cachet that they usually have. And uh, really, the 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 downfall of SC was the benefit of Stanford and more Oregon. So I think that there's some teams that have raised their profile. And if USC can come back to prominence nationally, I think that that, that kind of does help, especially when Washington goes and beats them every few years because they don't, they don't really play every year because of the, They're in uh, the North and the South. Yeah. You worried uh, at all about kind of the rise of Washington State recently? Leach kind of got the ship. Really? No. Why? No. Um, because when uh, – when two coaches go in a room, one of them wearing crimson, the other's wearing purple. Uh, if you are a product, if you are a Washington kid, if you're a West Coast kid, uh, you take the purple offer. Um, Washington pretty much has the pick there. Um, Washington State has actually really benefited uh, when Chris Peterson left uh, Boise State because those are more of the teams that Washington State is recruiting against. Uh, Washington's just on another level when it comes to the level of athlete that they get. And then um, even in the Mike Leach uh, heyday that they just had, Washington's strength was uh, was the defensive back. So, you know, Mike Leach never beat a Chris Peterson-led team. Uh, his only win was a really weird 2012 uh, Apple Cup, but and that was against Steve Sarkeesian. So um, 
Washington state is going to beat Washington every seven years ish. And, um, that's kind of, and that's okay because Washington state can still be, uh, a really successful, but success nationally, um, is, is really determined different, uh, based on, on the program that you're at. I, Washington state, Oregon state will never win a national championship. Washington could. Oregon has shown that it probably could. USC can. But there's other teams in the conference that can't. The fatal flaw of Matt Campbell at Iowa State is he hasn't beaten Iowa yet. That's yeah. the one team that Iowa State regularly plays that he hasn't beaten. Mm-hmm. So when you said that about every seven years, it, it hurt a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, Iowa State. Uh, seven years ago, Iowa the last State- time we beat Iowa, I was a freshman in college. Oh man. Uh, I think up until I was, so I married a duck fan and uh, we went to the game in 2016 when Washington finally broke the streak. And before that I I was like a junior in high school uh, the last time Washington had beat Oregon. So, you know, that was a 10 year win streak that hurt. Um, But, you know, when I think about Iowa, it's really cool what Matt Campbell has done because out here on the West, we know that uh, we know Iowa State. We know they're in the Big Twelve. And they're not in the big pack at uh, the Big Ten. Uh, but I always thought of them more as a basketball school. And Matt Campbell has changed getting that there. narrative. Yeah, we're getting there. We're nineteenth in the country right now. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I mean things seem to go in the right direction. And and really, you mentioned Kansas State. If they can keep things going in the right direction, uh, you know they could be big time beneficiaries in the, in the new big 12. Well, K-State too, another school that uh, they got their coach from North Dakota state, mm-hmm. off of like a huge, like FCS run that climate had there. Right. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about like, like we didn't beat Oklahoma until like 2017 <laughs> that ended a 27 year drought. Yeah. I was not alive when that drought was happening. <laughs> Like that was the 2017. That was the first time I, in my life I'd saw us beat Oklahoma. Um, we talk about Sark a little bit. I'd love to talk about Sark. I don't know what that reaction is right there. You seem like you, it seems like you're just foaming at the mouth to just tear him apart here. Uh, uh yeah, he's like uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Washington is like um. like Taco Bell. So like so, you, you think of when, when you eat Taco Bell, you're like, this is really good. And then you regret it. Um, afterwards, uh, that's kind of how I see Steve Sarkeesian because he did really do some good things. Um, he, he took this program who, you know, he took over an O and 12 team and, uh, in two years he had them bowl eligible again. And I think that's really important. Um, the problem with Steve Sarkeesian led teams is they never win all of the games. They should, um, they might win a game. They, they, um, that they shouldn't, but there's going to be at least one clunker a year. That's just going to make you want to pull your hair out really undisciplined when it comes to, uh, penalties, um, really poor defenses. You know, he's an offensive guy. Washington was able to score quite a few points when he was here. Keith Price was kind of his guy when he was, that was his starting quarterback, Chris Polk, probably my favorite uh, running back ever at Washington. Um, They scored points. They'd lose games. They shouldn't. I remember when, after they had 
beaten a ranked team. They, they were ranked and they went and just got pounded by Arizona state in the desert. And it, it, all of the momentum was gone. And that's just kind of how his programs ran. They were just maddening. Yeah. The, the thing with Sark was like, cause I really didn't start looking into him until he got the Texas job. And yeah. it seemed like people that liked the hire of Sark were like, Hey, he came in, he took over an own 12 team and he immediately, you know, two years he's winning, he's winning games and he rebuilt that program. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, you know, if you got really deep into the Sark juice, you'd be like, and then he was, you know, those were actually Sark's teams that Chris Peterson took to the playoff. And you look at it again, you're like, I don't think that's true. And then the people that were like anti Sark were like, well, yeah, but Washington still is like a pretty good program. It's not like that. I don't think the cabinet was like really bare mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Cause people said the same thing about Scott Frost. He took over an 0 and 12 team, but like other than that, like one 0 and 12 year, which Washington like was probably in a worse place than UCF was. Right. But, but other than that one 0 and 12 year, they were like decent. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. it was like completely terrible. And it was like also the anti Sark thing is like, well, yeah, but he only went like seven and five there. Seven and five Sark. Yeah, seven and five Sark. And then I don't I can't remember what he did at USC. Hold on, I have that here real fast. So he uh, he had some substance a bit abuse issues. Nine and four season at, at USC. Yeah. So it was like when you're talking about Texas who fired Tom Herman after like what an eight and three or nine and three season. Mm-hmm. It was like at Texas, like okay, like you can go have fun going nine and three the next four years at Texas, dude. You're right. gonna be you're gonna be back on Nick Saban's bench. Yeah, and and US it was just such an embarrassment at USC. He clearly there was some there was some stuff you know some some whispers around the way that he uh, he had some uh, alcohol issues at Washington, um, and then uh, being at the at the pep rally drunk, and then you know getting Washington came down and beat him. Uh, I, I actually, one of the things that I will give credit to Sark for is that 2016 team had Sark recruits on it that stuck around and Chris Peterson was able to develop those guys into really, really good players. So you had these Sark guys with these Peterson guys, and it made really one of the best teams that Washington seen in a long time, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I will not root openly against Sark because I think it if if things go well at, at Texas it is a really cool redemption story about a guy who was able to overcome Absolutely. addiction and uh learn under you know be around a really good program like Alabama and then being able to transfer that I think that's a really good story I I just don't know I love the redemption side I don't know if he if he's learned how to run a program then it's going to be successful i just don't know if if he has that part of him the the alabama thing's weird where it's like coaches that have failed or other places like come there and it's like they go to like nick saban like coaching boot camp (laughs) yeah yeah they get yelled at by him on national tv and then they turn into competent coaches like there's so like you go and look at the list of all the former saban assistants that are out there it's crazy like like mel tucker is a saban assistant there was a uh, earlier this year, the final four for the playoff, it was Kirby Smart, former uh, yeah. on the Saban tree, Saban, Mario Cristobal, former Alabama assistant coach, and Mel Tucker, uh, 
all of them were former uh, assistants. And then, I mean, it wasn't until this year where a former uh, Saban assistant finally beat him in, in a head-to-head matchup when Jimbo Fisher finally beat him. Yeah, it was like he owns all of his assistants. <laughs> right. It's like a contract they sign. It's just like, just smiling, just like, yes, all my former assistants just come, come and I will destroy you in the playoff. So, <laughs> exactly. Over under four and a half years, Sark at Texas. Oh, under. I don't, and I don't know if that's necessarily a shot at Sark. It yeah. Might, it, Sark. It, it's Texas. What do you think? Oh, I think under. Yeah. Under. I mean, there are, I've seen the message boards. There are people already wanting to fight Pete Kwiatkowski because of his defense and everybody wants to fire Sark already. It's like, I think if it's a bad year next year, he could be gone. I agree. And yeah. When did they move to the SEC? So that's kind of the, the million dollar question. It looks like they could, so, so they could move to the SEC like, I guess it wouldn't be next year, but like 2023. But I think what they'd have to do is they'd have to pay like a $70 million. That's right. Like pay out to the big 12 to like move early. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's 2025. Got it. Okay. So he could spend his tenure in the big 12. Yeah. He just never gets to the sec. Right. (laughs) That'd be a funny way to go. Um, (laughs) Does Chris Peterson ever coach again? I don't think so. Um, he, he, the new style of recruiting that um, is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, the, the way that the sport is becoming less amateur and more professional with name, image, and likeness Um I think that he, and and really his personality as somebody who's a systems guy who likes to be a leader, uh, leader of leaders. I think that, I think that he's going to find himself enjoying what he's doing now. He works for the university still. Um, he's a, uh, he's an advisor to Jen Cohen, the, uh, the athletic director, he's an advisor to all the coaches on staff. And then he's just become, he's the head or the president, or he has, he has a real official, um, title with, uh, with a new company is not the right word, a new group called the Washington futures. Uh, and that's going to be helping the athletes at the university of Washington navigate the name image, image and likeness, uh, everything around that uh, plus empowering them as, as leaders, as they go on from the university. So I think he's going to really like that job where he gets to grow people that are already there instead of uh, kind of the recruiting song and dance to try to get them there. Is there, I really didn't know this until I kind of heard you talk about it on one of your shows. Uh, Washington kind of has like a lot of like, defensive backs in the nfl yeah and you i know you ripped like ripped off like five or six of them and you're just like oh my god those guys are like aren't even just it's not even that they're just in the nfl that they're like actually like good players too right um is there like a few or can you maybe name like one washington like player that is just like just beloved in washington but like if if i heard about it and you'd be like oh my god uh like, like if you told me like Sark was like beloved in Washington, I would have been like, really? 
Vita Vea. Vita Vea. Oh, that's not that surprising because he, he's good. Oh, oh, are you talking? Uh, so you mean somebody that like maybe isn't well liked in where they're at, but they're uh, uh, kind of a hero in, in the state of Washington? Yeah, that's what I meant. But you think Kevin that- King. Kevin King. Uh, he's a cornerback for the um, for the uh, Green Bay Packers. He he had a, a tough um, tough last season. He he had a tough playoff game when they exited out last year. Uh, I've heard a lot of negative things about him, but he is beloved in this city. And you'd say Vita Vea is kind of like the big, you know, the big Kahuna of Washington. Everybody wow. loves Vita Vea. Wow, Vita Vea. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Um, before we go, you want to talk a little bit about the Pac-12 title game? <laughs> it's a pre, it's a, it's a, it's a, a rematch of a game that just happened two weeks ago where, um, Utah boat raced Oregon to a 28, 28, nothing lead at half. Um, them. USC, or I'm sorry, Utah just absolutely bullied Oregon at the line of scrimmage um, and senior quarterback um, Anthony Brown for Oregon, uh, who's been uh, a liability of sorts when it, when it comes to the Oregon offense, but he he's a true dual threat. They were able to really keep him one dimensional and he, he's not going to beat you with his arm. So uh, Utah destroyed Oregon. Uh, what do you have the final? Was it 42, seven, 35, seven? Uh, I was looking up right now to see if Utah had won a Pac-12 championship. They have not. They've uh, they lost to Washington and then they lost to Oregon last year. So this is their chance, I think, this year to finally get over the hump. And uh, you know, Utah fans already love Kyle Whittingham more even than Urban Meyer, who won them a national championship. But I, this just further cements his legacy and keeps building that statue that's eventually going to be outside of rice Ackles stadium for him. Well, urban Meyer had a undefeated season. He didn't have a national championship. Oh, Oh, was it, was it not? I I don't think so. I don't know if I count it. (laughs) Oh, that's the beauty of college football. Washington has the same thing where, uh, 1984 BYU was named the champion, but they played a terrible schedule and, they were undefeated, but Washington with that one loss, it was to a really good UCLA team. Like they count that as a national championship. That's the beauty of college football. Well, the, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Whittingham actually had an undefeated season too. He went 13 0 and 08, but they were in the, they were in the mountain West conference. Mountain West. For a while. And yeah. then urban urban was undefeated in uh, 04. And then he must've left for the Florida job and then Whittingham yeah. takes over there and they, they take off. Yeah. Cause like you said, they're kind of like one of the under-respected like programs yeah. you know, in college football and Whittingham's really good. And he's been yeah. there around there for a while. And he's kind of one of those guys, like, like, I think we all pray like when we get a hire that they can stick around like so long and <laughs> like, you don't want like, like Matt Campbell would have been really, if he would have left now, it would suck if like, yeah. you know, if Pat Fitzgerald at some point at Northwestern would have left at one point, it would have sucked. If yes. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, um, you know, like, like the thing was too, I even thought of going back to the Chip Kelly thing just for two seconds. It's like, what if he stays at Oregon? Like, I assume the ship is still rolling. I would that the day that I heard the rumor that he was 
possibly going to Philadelphia was a very good day in the Mueller household. I was so happy because you, I, I just, I don't, I, the, the game would have caught up to him in, in a certain way, but he was doing it so efficiently that he, I, he was, I don't know what Oregon ceiling would have been. And it would have been really scary. Yeah. Cause I mean, even again, like the two years after that, like Helfrich, like yeah. two years or whatever he's in the they're in the title game again maybe they win if kelly's still the coach i don't know right yeah you know, one I, of the things that actually hurt oregon was there, there was some uh there was some issues with uh some recruiting issues that ended up they didn't lose a lot of um they didn't lose a lot of scholarships but what they did lose was um visits and oregon gets their recruits by getting them onto the campus in Eugene because it is beautiful and that's how you get them because you tell a kid hey come come to University of Oregon in Eugene they don't know where that is but as soon as you get them on the campus that's how you get them and so Mark Helfrich uh, was kind of hamstrung at the start of his career because of that is the Pac-12 really kind of putting their head down the fact that they went 0-5 against BYU future Big 12 team as much crap as we gave BYU last year, uh, they they turned down a game against Washington. Uh, that was a that was a massive W for the future Big Twelve uh, BYU Cougars. Uh, some somebody are calling them like the de facto Pac-12 champions. They might be um, Utah underrated football state. Underrated football state, extremely and and in recruiting. Um, there are some really good players that come out of Utah and the, the fear Washington has feasted on Utah um, prospects and, and Oregon is now feasting on Utah prospects. If Utah and BYU are able to keep some of their kids home, that's going to be huge for both of those programs. I'm like, they're good. They're good. Even if, even when you guys are feasting on them. Exactly. Yeah. And it helped. I, I, I mean, there, there's something to, some of those guys taking their missions and coming back and being 20 year old freshmen as well. Yeah. 20 year old freshman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, Britain, uh, do you guys know the name Britton Covey out there? Uh, remind us. He's a risk. He's a receiver, uh, for the, uh, for the Utes. And uh, his first, his freshman year was 2015 and he has another year of eligibility if he wants it. He participated his freshman year, took his uh, two-year mission, came back, and then of course the COVID year. So uh, he 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 he's he's actually a really good follow on Twitter because people will kind of clown him a little bit and and he'll kind of give it back like you know doctors are in school for seven years too stuff like that. It's a good way to end this Utah Utah also I I think they were the Kyle Whittingham years they came to. We had like a few, I think we had a three or four game like series between them and they just destroyed us each time. Yeah. Like one game, they like scored like 60 on us. So it was like, oh, <laughs> it was really bad, but those days are behind us. Uh, it is pretty amazing. The, the climb that Iowa state has taken over the last few years it, that to the point where, you know, people on the West coast, who don't follow big 12 football know who they are now. It's not like, oh, you mean. That, that's always something when I would go to conferences, I would say Iowa State and people would be like, Ohio State, <laughs> Idaho, no. Be, no, Iowa. 
And people, you know, the one that makes a deep run in the NCAA tournament every year. <laughs> We're a basketball school. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, do you want to tell everyone uh, where we can find your stuff and uh, then we'll head out of here? Yeah. So um, you can find my stuff at fourth and inches, a Husky podcast on all of your podcast platforms. Uh, you can see my, uh, my scouting reports and, and some of the articles that I'm writing on um, sports illustrated. So si.com slash Washington now that you'll be able to find my stuff there. Um, we're just now launching the fourth and inches network where we're going to be, uh, covering more than just football and men's basketball. Um, we'll have women's basketball. We're going to do some stuff about softball and baseball. And then in the fall, of course, three shows for football. And we'll also do a little recap of the volleyball program as well. So lots of really cool things coming. You can also follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm the most active at Trevor Mueller SI. Good stuff, man. Okay, that's going to do it for the podcast today. As always, thank you for listening. Please go rate, review, subscribe. Uh, go follow everything that Trevor's doing if you want to figure out, you know, kind of what's going on more on that Pac-12 landscape of things. And I, I know I really haven't had too many people on from the West recently or at all, really. Just sometimes it's kind of hard to find uh, people out there. And glad that he was able to come on and talk with us about Washington and Pac-12 and stuff like that. So go make sure you follow everything that he's doing. And as uh, always, guys, hopefully we have another show coming up this week. And as always, I'll see you next time.